Hi, I'm Andrew Tobias. And I'm Stephen Goldmeyer. The internet's a weird place. We're going to show you. Hold on to your butt. Welcome to Hold On To Your Butts. I'm Stephen Goldmeyer, and... He's Stephen Goldmeyer. And he's Stephen Gold... I'm Andrew Tobias. There we are. Uh, This week, we have only one thing to talk about, because there's a lot of it to talk about. Times two. Times two. X2. The deuces. We're going to talk about... Go ahead. And we know what his name is now, right? It's Edward Snowden? Uh, Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, because it kind of sounds like... What's the guy who wrote The Hatchet? Gary Paulson, right? Like, I don't know. (laughs) So that's that's kind of where I'm at emotionally right now. But yeah, we're talking about the NSA leaker guy and what it says about the Internet as far as, you know, kind of the narrative about it. And also then furthermore, uh, what, you know, our expectations are privacy. And then there's a second level, too. Right. Or did I already yeah. touch on the second? Well, level? the second level is uh, uh how people respond to this individual and what his role is. And uh, we've talked about this before, you and I, and I thought a lot of people have talked about, you know, Julian Assange, and do we think of him as a traitor or a hero? And there's a lot of different ways of approaching that issue, too. Right. So let's get started. Okay. We're back. And we're back. And we're going to talk about the NSA leaks and this guy, Edward Snowden, who leaks these things about the yeah, NSA. To Glenn Greenwald, by the way, which I think is interesting, but you probably don't have any opinion about it, right? I, yeah. I barely even have knowledge about it. So yeah. we'll get to that in a second. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the way this, this story starts to develop is this guy, uh, Snowden, goes to this guy, Glenn Greenwald. What he actually gave to Glenn Re- Greenwald was a set of slides from a PowerPoint presentation that the NSA prepared about a thing that they're doing yeah, called Yeah, and, and by the way, just to, to cut in real quick like yeah. powerpoint presentations are you know i think it's like kind of um uh shorthand for boring work stuff right yeah. like but this is like um i don't know it's like confidential boring work stuff so it's super exciting right, right. i don't know well there was also uh i saw earlier this week somebody redesigned the slides that were leaked into like better looking powerpoint yeah. slides like a better powerpoint yeah, presentation like, like your brother right <laughs> like i bet you know it wasn't kind of my brother but do. it is the kind of thing he would do for sure uh, but anyway, so the PowerPoint slides, what they actually contained, interestingly, was uh, an initiative by the government called PRISM to get access to uh, databases or information. Okay, cut in one once more. PRISM, yeah. like the name of it, is, that's just like prisms. It's kind of like the all-seeing eye. Like it's just sort of this imagery that of, you know, uh, we own you. Kind they of d- creepy government stuff. They never know. expected anyone to hear this name. Right. So it makes sense that the government had an internal name for it that sounds creepy. Yeah, it could have, they could have picked something less nefarious sounding. If, if Why would they? It's only for the government. They want to sound nefarious <sighs> yeah, to well, themselves. It's, it's also possibly for like some congressional subcommittee. I, I suppose guess, that's or true. Something. What's, this, what's this prism thing? Where they could have just called it Snowball or <laughs> right. something. You know? so, Snowden. Right. No, anyway. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and another interesting thing about Prism is, as soon as this this deck this like five sli- these five slides about it were released, the image that they use as sort of the brand for Prism is a picture of a prism with light going through it. So obviously, somebody did some searching and figured out where that image came from. It's possible the government used that without acknowledging the copyright of the person who took oh. that image. So when they asked this guy, so "Did you know Pink this was Floyd going album on?" By any chance? It's Dark similar. It's obviously how many different images of a prism exist. Right. But it turns out it's actually the exact image I bet the government else took. I bet that's something that they caught up. You know? That's one of the pieces it's of data sweep. in prison is how many pictures of prisms are there. <laughs> we'll stop at no length to find the right. to find that out. That's not that doesn't seem very useful though, right? Shouldn't they be doing a database of pictures of cats? 
I mean... If they actually want to make an impact. Yeah, I mean, if they want to be useful, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, uh, uh, as we've alluded, it's basically a database of... Ideally, the government's trying to compile a database of social information from providers like Facebook and, you know, uh, Yahoo, MSN, all these different companies that keep social information and get access to their servers, get information directly from these companies and compile it in their own sort of uh, uh, surveillance database, their own intelligence database. And the thing that's, that seemed to shock everybody is that the government's working with Facebook to get information about me, just a person. My word. Yeah, right. Information. So we're going to talk more about why people maybe shouldn't be so shocked by well, that i mean is, there's this there's this uh line or this um this thread or whatever string is that the word i'm looking for anyways the, the line is that um that facebook is like an nsa project in the first place i remember that being like in the crazy wacko conspiracy theorist yeah. stuff which i don't know like i mean i think there's an onion story which so often they kind of capture the tone of things perfectly like you know yeah. Uh, NSA program brings good news to paranoid people or something like that. Like, you're not so paranoid. Yeah. You know? So anyways. But yeah. yeah. I, it, I'm not sure people, I'm not sure it's so shocking, obviously. Right. It would have been a lot more efficient if the NSA did own Facebook. But uh, another thing you and I talked about is the government is able to get a lot of information just by asking for it. So the real reveal here isn't the government can get access to your information on Facebook. It's the government is systematically trying to do so. Uh, which I guess the the systematicness of it is what's so shocking. Uh, that, what, that they're good be. at it. Yeah, I guess I, that they've that they've made deals with companies to get better at it is kind of shocking to me. I, I must be the thing that's shocking about this because it can't be that they're using Facebook to get information about things. That can't be the shocking part of this. Right. So that's the bottom line here, at least as far as like the actual content of these leaks. To me, at least, uh, is that. Um, uh, the government already basically has access to all of this information uh, that, you know, they can ask for court orders. They can publicly look at whatever you've posted. They can Which is a lot of stuff. It's so much stuff. Uh, and, and the idea that they somehow have this better through line now, they're going to have the best through line. They're the government. You know, they're always going to have uh, uh, second to Facebook. They're going to have the most information about citizens. They're the government, right? They're going to have the easiest way to get that information. Facebook has the number one easiest way because all they did was say to you, just put it here. What are we going to do with it? Right. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to jump in and posit something, right? And I think that the, the question that you're getting at is why do people trust Facebook more than they trust the government, right? right? And, you know, the answer to that question, at least I would pose, is marketing. Right. Um, they're, you know, instead of naming it Prism, they're going to name it like, you know, iPhone or whatever. Right. I mean, I'm now jumping into Apple, but, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> Apple does all kinds of crazy stuff and people are pretty okay with it just because, it, you know, they're so, I don't know, they just, they, they've just done the work to have like brand loyalty and people just shovel whatever crap they give them. You know? Right. So. so that's the thing, though, is I'm a state employee. I work for the state of Ohio, and as we've talked about, I have ethical things I have to maintain, standards I have to maintain. Facebook doesn't have those. Right. And that's terrifying to me that everybody's just so willing to give everything to Facebook but then seems shocked when a government that is at least ostensibly accountable gets the information. Right. So it, I think it, it probably has more to do with the government is allowed to arrest, detain, and kill people, and Facebook isn't allowed to arrest, detain, and kill people. That we people. know of. That, <laughs> that'd be a big reveal. Wouldn't that be a hell of a headline? Yeah. NSA leaks that Facebook has a detention camp in Guantanamo yeah. Bay, a whole wing for like people who take bad selfies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can only hope. 
Yeah, right. We can only hope. <laughs> uh, so that I think that's where the real fear comes from, is people think of Facebook as not having power. I don't know if that's an accurate conception of Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that they really have power. I think kind of what you touched on there is that the government can, you know, throw people in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. If they really want to. They can they can render people and put them in some black site on the moon or whatever, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I hope that a, exists, too. It would be on the dark side of the moon. I mean, that's where that would be located. Because uh, of the prism? Right. Yeah. Hey, uh... yeah. So, um, whereas Facebook, you know, what, what are they going to do with it? They'll sell it to someone and make more money. Sure. Uh, but, but ultimately, they don't have the, the, the power to really touch your life in any way they can just kind of sell parts of it to other other people but here's the thing what if facebook wanted to sell those parts of your life to the government you know well uh there's nothing stopping Uh that from we doubled back into like the the problem area here Uh, well there's nothing stopping that from happening right there's no reason to think they're not doing that and in fact they probably are and maybe that's what prism is is them finally making this deal that we're giving it to nike we're giving it to coca-cola why don't we give it to something slightly smaller right so is the, the American government. <laughs> so is the answer for us to be super paranoid? That's a good question. I think that, uh, and I, you know, I've written about this on, on one of my own things, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, yeah, maybe the answer is that people don't understand what data privacy actually means. And they think it means keep it away from the government, but give it to everybody else, and that's fine. Right. Or if I have a strong password, I don't have to worry, right? Most of these leaks happen because somebody steals a batch of passwords. Yeah. We're looking at you, <laughs> Hamdi Hacker. Yeah, our blog was hacked by some some guy, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm sure he's a lovely gentleman, yeah. I don't want to invite any more uh, problems from him. But it was a big pain in the ass and it happened because of uh, exploits in WordPress probably not because we had weak passwords but because WordPress itself has problems so you know Facebook itself has problems too and there's probably a way somebody can get all that data either nefariously or legitimately all the government needs to do is set up a surveillance wing that's called you know uh, Yo-Yo Dine Incorporated and buy some data off of Facebook and suddenly they have all of that information without you know so the fact that they have this systematized way of talking to Facebook about getting data and information, A, shouldn't be shocking, but B, I think it is a wake-up call to people to say, you're the one providing all this information. Now think about what is useful to you about giving the information okay. well, and whether, whether it's worth it for, for that information to all exist in one centralized place or not. I would like to answer my own question. You know, if, to bring you back, okay. is the answer to be super paranoid? Yeah. Um, uh, my answer is, you know, well, at least to, to set it up slightly, you know, you and I both have pretty vibrant online presences. Right. You know, I um, am in a field where I do try to kind of almost maintain like a brand kind of, you know, lazily, but I do I do it to some degree. And and I'm in a field where I shouldn't be doing that, but I do it right. using this blog we, and podcast. We like it. And, and yeah. you know, we check in about where we had breakfast and, you know, I don't know. We're just, we're, we're, we're tools for that kind of thing. Sure. And so it's just, you know, why do we do it? What What's what's the benefit? I don't know. It's fun. You yeah. know, it, it's fun to be able to know when was the last time I got my haircut. It's fun to be able to walk down memory lane. Yeah. It's fun to be able to share with people and have that social experience about, you know, here's a picture of my cat and the crazy shit that it did, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which is totally different than every other cat that's right. out there. <laughs> Such a um, unique personality. And so there's just kind of like this quality of life and it's almost normal. Like we're expected to do this kind of stuff and we're yeah. just kind of participating in the human condition, right? So that's that's the, the positive side, right? And the, the, the downside is the potential that the government well, before takes you, it. Before and, you get to the downside, okay. I just want to touch on that positive side. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, a uh, uh, frequent commenter to our, our podcast and has questions for us and, and feeds back. Uh, she is in Serbia right now presenting a paper to a theological conference about the Internet as a virtual space and a place where you can actually engage uh, 
in a way that's more similar to the real world and less similar to television. Yeah, we'll We'll we'll, get to that. We'll get to him big time in the next segment. But yeah, Catherine, and I agree with her wholeheartedly, uh, her position is the internet is a social space. It's a world and it's parallel to this world. And it's a place where, like you're saying, really positive, interesting things can happen. But Catherine also acknowledges some negative things happen there and they deserve the attention that the real world's negative thing gets. And one example of these negative things is, right, the government thing. The government gets it and puts you in their, you know, Guantanamo Bay on the dark side of the moon or whatever, yeah. right? Like, who knows what they could possibly do with it. So here's here's my answer to that. I mean, all kinds of, there are kinds of, all kinds of risks that we put ourselves into, like by living in a not great neighborhood or right. driving our car or, you know... Uh, not hiding in the basement when there's a tornado watch or something like that. I mean, they're, they're just risks that we take, and basically what you have to expect is that it's not going to happen to me because it probably won't, right? Right. Statistically speaking, like, we are unlikely to uh, suffer some kind of tragic end to our life, right? But it might happen. Like, it right. happens to people every day. It happens to people in the city. It happens to people on the street, you know? So yeah. what are you going to do? I mean... Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that we have to quietly acquiesce. Right. You know, we, we can think about this and think critically about it, but at the same time, the answer is not to not live our lives, sure. right? It's, it's to, um, y- we can engage, you know. Um, Reasonably we, assess the risk. Right, or else we, we could all live, you know, we could go, uh, you know, Ruby Ridge and live out in Montana or Idaho <laughs> or whatever and hope that we don't, you know, die in a fiery shootout with the ATF. I was going to say, that, that usually ends very well. Or was it the FBI? I don't know. There's so many to pick from, but anyway. I, I think it was the ATF, yeah. but you know so, me. I don't know. I mean, you know, that's that's... Obviously, you know, um, that's I, I we can't blindly kind of run into, you know, uh, our, our benevolent overlords or whatever. Absolutely. But still, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't think the answer is to bunker up either. I, I don't think so. I think uh, touching on something that you said, the bottom line is the government is probably not going to use most of the information it gets from Facebook. Yeah, the government's not generally that good at stuff. Right? And also not interested in most people. Right. I, they're not. I, I don't think they should be interested. in. if they are interested in me, they know something about me that I don't know, because on like a seditious governmental global scale. I'm just not that interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there are people but, who get caught up in their dragnets, right? Like the, the guy whose fingerprint showed up on the bag in Spain, like around the, so you don't, well, there was a guy whose fingerprint ended up on a bag in Spain and uh, I forget what, it was one of the many terrorist acts of the aughts and he was totally innocent, but he spent 10 months in like some, I think he's an attorney from Oregon or something like that. And he spent 10 months in prison before they finally just let him go. Right. Yeah. So, so there are people who get like, run roughshod over and who did who do just kind of get caught in the middle of stuff even if they're not that interesting in the, in the first place right but arguably that happened more before we started collecting this data not not yeah, less maybe we have better data now is that probably what we, okay. we probably caught and catched less innocent people using mm. this kind of data so i don't i don't know how okay. responsive well, i'm, I'm that just is, i was just responding to the idea that you you can still be uninteresting sure. and get totally screwed absolutely so. but like you know the the, the class probably won't right probably not and that's that's what i'm getting at is the government's probably not interested in me as a person and my data and my facebook profile facebook is facebook is definitely using it for (laughs) what might be characterized as nefarious purposes uh leveraging the stuff i've given to them for money so that my life gets harder because i get more spam and more stuff in my mail and you know uh, arguably facebook is definitely using this data for nefarious purposes and the government probably isn't so you know, I, that's not to say, therefore, just let it go. Let it ride. It doesn't matter. But that's to say, think people do, as you're saying, need to think critically about what they're giving up, why, what they're getting out of it, the benefits and the possible downsides of all of it. Yeah, that's all, right. all we're asking for, Okay. you know? People to be reasonable consumers of information and critical thinkers on the internet. Treat the internet like it's a real thing, and you'll start to make more reasonable decisions. Okay. Okay. We fixed it. Well, that about wraps that up. So moving <laughs> along... Uh, 
the next segment. Yeah, so the next segment's all about this actual guy, Edward Snowden, and how people are perceiving him, and uh, whether he's a problem or a hero or something even more interesting and complicated. Right. Um, Huh. Yeah, I wonder which one we're going (laughs) to say. (laughs) Coming up after the break. Hey there, listeners. Hello. If you like what you hear on this podcast, check us out at enchantmentunderthesea.org. Yeah, we talk about the internet here on our podcast, but on enchantmentunderthesea.org, we like to uh, write about stuff like movies, books, music. So come join us over there, enchantmentunderthesea.org. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, and we're back uh, to talk more about Edward Snowden, the kind of double feature today. That it's the first time ever for this podcast, but we can probably like you know take a fart, and that's the first time that that's ever happened since you know we've just started doing this and all. But I have some inside information for the for the listeners <laughs> behind would, the scenes. That would not be the first. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're we're talking a little bit now about kind of the narrative of Edward Snowden and what it you know how it's being presented and how people are consuming it and stuff like that. And I think the first part that's kind of important. I touched on this in the first segment. Is that the the original news was actually broken by Glenn Greenwald of The Guardian, former of uh, formerly Salon.com and some other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So to those who don't know, which is probably a lot of people, maybe like especially non-professional journalists in the room, you know, any of those that might be here. Whatever room theor- uh, theoretically you, may be you might in. be talking about. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Glenn Greenwald is a first and foremost, he's a constitutional lawyer and civil rights activist. Okay. Uh, you know, he's concerned about things like unair- unmanned drone strikes and surveillance and wiretaps uh, without, you know, court order and stuff like that. Okay. The Patriot Act, et cetera, which basically, you know, the Patriot Act created kind of a, a uh, what's the what's the phrase I'm trying to think of? Like a cottage industry of Glenn Greenwald's out there, right? Like, right. The, you know, so he, he, he has something to thank these people for, but whatever, that, that, that notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> Dear people who wrote the Patriot Act, <laughs> thank you for everything. But yeah, so uh, the, the reason why it probably... Edward Snowden went to Glenn Greenwald is that he's somebody who's, you know, who's going to be a sympathetic way, messenger for his story. And he's sure. somebody who is a kind of a, uh, a brother at arms in this fight that they're fighting or whatever. And so actually, um, uh, Jay Rosen, who's a New York Times University journalism professor that blogs a lot and stuff like that, talks about what the value is of, you know, the str- just the facts, straight news kind of stuff versus kind of advocacy journalism. And he, he kind of talks about them as being hand in hand, uh, you know, being able to complement each other. And so something about Glenn Greenwald being this guy is that he opens himself up for, for getting the story and telling it in a way that's going to catch on because of his personal views that he holds and, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. anyways, so Glenn Greenwald gets the story and, you know, he, he presents it as this this brave American, you know, who's coming forward as a whistleblower. You know, he's, he's just giving the whistleblower uh, a narrative and treatment as he's talking about uh, this right. uh, kind of mid-level to low-level NSA sure. civilian contractor. I saw something. I just had to say something. Yes. It wouldn't be right to... Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and he's, you know, he's our, our white knight who's, who's yeah. saving us from this giant government apparatus that wants to, you know, take us apart and, and sell us to Facebook and chunks yeah. or whatever, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he reveals Prism and... Uh, the Verizon and AT and T and all of them, you know, right. getting our phone records. We right. didn't touch as much on that. Um, oh well, that happened too. They, but yeah, that's they they got all of our phone calls for the last six months or whatever, except for AT and T, I think actually. So I'm good, right? But well, yeah, it's it's unclear because I think Yahoo actually originally resisted giving up some of these records for for the Prism project, and then they fought in court, and the government got them anyway. So. Mm. Even if you haven't lost it yet, you're going to lose whatever, whatever. Okay, well, that's but again, don't don't let me ruin my sense of smug self satisfaction because if I don't have that, <laughs> oh, what do I, I have dare. left? I, what do I have dare. left? Yeah, you're it's that's your cloak. <laughs> you're the emperor with his clothes. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but so, so Glenn Greenwald gets the story and breaks it, and of course, you know the people who you know follow Glenn Greenwald on Twitter, which yeah. are he has a lot of followers, you know. Um, 
And uh, from there, it kind of percolates to anonymous, basically, and this online internet culture that kind of made a hero out of Julian Assange, right? Mm-hmm. Who was, you know, the last guy who did this kind of thing, or at least he, you know, he helped uh, facilitate, you know, Bradley, Bradley Manning, Manning and yeah. all, all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. So this just, the message was, was put out there in a very sympathetic way to this guy until it got to... David Brooks and yeah, other people and like him. mainstream journalism. Right. And when it got to David Brooks, David... So before you were sort of using... D- David Brooks of the New York Times. He's their kind of token quasi-conservative, yeah. that, you know, as a columnist. And I'll get to him in a second. But before you were using those uh, sort of like a scare quote, sarcastic voice of saying like, this is one guy versus the man, right? This sort of like... Oh, I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> this is just how it. my voice sounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but but uh, th- this, when David Brooks wrote this particular op-ed piece, that's the actual position he's taking, which is like like your little bit of sarcasm to an extreme, right? That this guy thinks he's a white knight standing up to a giant government apparatus. And his whole thing is, this guy, Snowden, is standing alone because of generational factors and the internet isolating people and just the way the world works now is that these men are so isolated in their adolescence and in the internet that they've abandoned all of these social structures religious political governmental and and they see everything as them versus everybody else and that is just so reductive and wrong and just armchair psychology that is also bad psychology that's what columnists do though right they take like limited set of information and then write something that's, I don't read you know. a lot of columnists. Uh, I happen to read this one because it got on the internet, okay? okay. And when the internet got a hold of this one, uh, I think the internet realized uh, that, you know, and I, I don't think that the internet as like a whole, like as a, as a uniform thing is saying the same thing about this guy Snowden, but a, a portion of the internet that I, I pay a lot of attention to is at least saying, listen, this guy did something important. He maybe did it in a dangerous way, but the internet seized on David Brooks because David Brooks started smearing this guy and smearing a generation and smearing a worldview that, you know, the idea that our government is maybe trying to do things that we wouldn't want it to do, David Brooks thinks is impossible, apparently. And maybe that's normal for him to think that, but the fact that he he has, has engaged with a person that the internet has interest in has brought that kind of wrong backwards viewpoint to me as somebody that doesn't read his articles you know so or heard him on on national public radio where he's a regular contributor right i don't listen to npr okay. i listen to podcasts that's uh <laughs> uh i don't listen to the radio i listen to internet radio yeah yeah you know i i i will be the first to admit that i'm incredibly uninformed about what's happening in the world of quote unquote old media uh, including radio and and t- you know tv news and, and newspapers and newspapers Those abominations they're dying yeah everybody get out <laughs> uh i can't <laughs> uh so i don't really know a lot about what's happening in that world but when that world somehow manages to intersect with the internet world all of a sudden i'm like wait is that going on all the time up there right well i mean i hope and not. This, this kind of thing happens in the mainstream media to some degree right like where uh some sports story becomes uh uh, a normal news story for some reason, like, you know, if some sports guy kills some non-sports guy or something, right? You know, suddenly the, the normal media cares. And a lot of the times what happens, it exposes how little they know about sports. So I right. kind of think that's what happened to David Brooks a little bit, although it's also equal parts kind of his right. worldview, just actually upsetting his him. own political right. positions and stuff. Yeah. But anyways. But I, I think it's important to note that there, there are these two currents, and that's why we did this segment is because there are two currents going on here. And that is one is this guy's a hero. And he's finally standing up and doing something. 
and he's in a position to do it. And the other one is this guy's a traitor. The government's here to protect us, and he's fighting against the government. Right, and I'd like to cast a little bit of, of doubt on the hero thing, by the way, just to point yeah, this so out. Yeah, so let's start with that. So the, the fact that this guy chose Glenn Greenwald as his messenger, you know, it shows that he's, you know, being, uh, which of course, you know, he should be, I guess, given his uh, precarious situation, but he's thinking about, you know, the PR battle that's going to play yeah. out, right? And then so here, here's the thing that makes the least sense about what he did, at mm-hmm. least the way that what he said he did, which is, you know, so he's trying to go someplace where, um, you know, he's, he's going to be protected and they're, they're going to, you know, uh, someplace where he can t- claim political asi- asylum, right? Yeah. And so he chose Hong Kong because of their vibrant history of press freedom, right? <laughs> the People's Republic of China, the freest nation in the land or whatever, you know? I think they can hear the eye rolls this time. Yeah, okay, Maybe they couldn't right. last Yeah, episode, actually in my but... notes I wrote LOL in this part <laughs> because um, what's actually probably happening, people think, is that... Uh, China also, by the way, happens to be probably our biggest intelligence enemy, right? Like uh-huh. there's there's this new Cold War that's, you know, that, that's going on where we're hacking each other and stealing each other's shit and sure. blaming the other side or whatever. And so uh, China just might let them, you know, uh, oh, we can't find the extradition papers. Guess we'll have to stay here for 20 years <laughs> right. or whatever. You know, they're going to drag their feet. They're going to try to get whatever they can out of him. And he's sure. already talking to uh, Chinese newspapers. And I think um, I read something where he's being called like the handsome hero or something, <laughs> you know, on the Chinese Internet, which... Is a thing actually because the China the China has its own internet. It does. So that's yeah. one of my favorite things about this story is you can see the Chinese internet that's so on lockdown responding to these kind of stories using like code phrases and what you know we have memes and they have essentially what would be a meme language of codes that can't be broken by the government. You know there was uh, not too long ago there was a thing where people were photoshopping pictures of ducks into pictures of Tiananmen Square. Hmm. It's like these giant like uh, uh, rubber ducky tanks basically. Right. They down people in Tiananmen Square. The government put a stop to that because I guess it probably didn't have a filter on like those specific images. Right, it's, and they it's put a kind uh, of like getting the Lemon Party line past the N- NBC yeah. censors. Like, can't have Lemon Party without old Dick, you yeah, know, or whatever. Uh, I don't know. That's, so that's it's <laughs> it, it's it's a nice. Uh, I guess it's a nice place to be where the people who are sort of your um, uh, your gatekeepers don't actually understand. Like, you right. know, that, that's even a key that you're trying to put yeah. in that key. A hole, bunch of David know? Brookses, right? right? They're not going to be able to police anything that's yeah. happening. Well, anyway, they so, don't get it. Yeah, but so. So, you know, so, so even he, you know, he, he wants to be seen as a white knight, but even mm-hmm. you can see his, his intentions are not pure. You know, his, his, his while he is obviously putting himself at great personal risk by doing this and, and outing himself, you know, I don't yeah. know, maybe he's about to get un, 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 unveiled, right. right? And he wants to come out as an own terms or whatever, you sure. know, so people do that kind of stuff all the time. So, yeah, it's also unclear, uh, you know, I, that's the thing that upsets people about the David Brooks article as well as others is that they're attacking this guy personally and they're pointing out stuff that is true that he had difficulty getting through high school. He had difficulty in college. He had these sort of social uh, things that were going not as well as you would hope in his life. And so the picture that people want to paint is of a guy who just couldn't fit in in all these different organizations and yeah. was a little unhinged from, right. you know. Or and, he's just part of the new economy. But anyways. Right. And so I think that's a better, Oops. I think that's a much better read. I think that's a much better read on it. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, but but anyway, so but that's the um uh th- that is the, the pushback against the the white knight thing is that there are there there are sort of uh uh political and personal reasons why a guy would do a thing like this. Right. But obviously the pushback against the the seditious traitor is real easy to do too, right? The government's doing a thing that none of us like, and as soon as we found out about it, we we're like, "No, we're that's our government. We're not okay with that." Right? So just, you know, A plus B equals C. A is the government's doing something wrong. B we find out and we don't like it see the government shouldn't be doing it right doesn't the government work for us so uh that's the recipe for a hero is somebody that makes clear the government's doing a thing you don't want 
let's try and stop that from happening. So, you know, the the, the pushback against the it, it's it's more easy to make the hero case than it is to make the traitor yeah, case well, from my perspective. But still, but, do, do we need him to be a hero, right? Like, right. what, what, what does question. it matter? I mean, that, that's that's a question that we've asked before in this show. You know, is Charles Ramsey a hero? Sure. Right. You know, you know, to the as far as we know, he helps those ladies get out of the house in Cleveland and. Uh, he did some bad stuff in his past, like he's, you know, maybe cashing in now in the present. But, right. you know, all of that stuff does not negate, you know, the, the, the positive contribution that he made to that story. Sure. So, you know, yeah. maybe that's uh, maybe that's the thing that we're trying to do is complicate the idea that we need these heroes. Right. Like that's now that we have the Internet, you, these acts that people do can exist in discrete packages and we can pay attention to the whole story and the fabric of all the things that are happening with it. And we don't just have to put a pretty face on it and say, this is our guy. He's our hero. He's a pretty face, by the way, according to the Chinese Internet. Yeah, Anyways. according to the Chinese Internet. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. He's, he's not bad looking, I guess. He looks like a normal guy or whatever. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, a normal guy. Right. A hero. Uh, yeah, no, we don't... We don't. Uh, that's, I, I think what I would push for is to say we don't need seditious traitors and we don't need heroes. What we need is information. And this guy has put information out there for whatever reason he put it out there. And now we have information about him too. And all this information contributes to whatever picture we want to put together. And maybe as a journalist, you'd say the same thing. I mean, me as... as as an internet obsessed uh, culture dude, and also as you know, a, a criminal defense attorney, uh, getting all of the information out there and trying to piece together a picture that accurately describes the values and the narrative in a way, you know, that 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 um, we we put together a picture that reflects the reality as it should exist in the world as we see it existing in the world, and that's the role of a journalist as much as the role of an attorney. Yeah. So well, we should still, um, you know, as we're trying to make judgments about this stuff, that doesn't mean that we disregard things that kind of speak to motive or speak. To background or character and stuff like that and we can try to make our own judgments i guess i mean we don't have to full on david brooks it and yeah you know like uh pull out one of our prepackaged rants based on like a shred of information that we have or whatever but yeah. at the same time you know that doesn't mean that we have to be blind to this stuff i just think you do have to take it with a grain of salt and ultimately you know at the end of the day what we really need and i, I like how you said it we do need the information to make decisions about the stuff that we have and now thanks to this guy we have more information whereas before we had less so right. i mean I, I i guess i don't know um I, I could be naive and not be aware of the full-on demands and the dangers that the government protects me in every day through their massive security apparatus. Sure. You know, yeah. so I mean, you know, I mean, and I am the guy who would rather take my shoes off at the airport and be annoyed than get blown up. I guess if if, if I have a point zero one percent chance less of being blown up in like a horrible fiery ball, then you know I'll take my shoes off. So I'm a little sympathetic to the idea that I think fundamentally, you know, the government does want to do the right thing most of the time. I, I'm sure, um, you know, as any institution, they can kind of get out of hand and stuff or whatever right but you know fundamentally or one bad actor can hijack right. but whatever or one bad you know uh, organization or right. cell or whatever right yeah. but at the same time fundamentally you know i do think that i am sympathetic to that the idea that they are trying to help but at the same time you know uh now we've we, we can if nothing else have interesting podcasts and you know so yeah. keep it coming right and have information yeah right. more information is always a good thing uh it's I think that's at, at heart. Both of us agree with that. And so does the NSA. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so coming up after this, we're going to uh, talk about our, our links or just things of the week in the event that maybe occasionally they're not links. And uh, it's a little bit of an update on some stories we've had before. Yeah. And some listener feedback. So here we go. Yep. Would you like to hear your project talked about on our podcast? Well, we're looking for quote unquote advertisers. Yeah. We'll stick it right here in this spot. Whereas uh, instead of us talking now, We'll uh, feature your thing. Send us an email at staff at enchantmentunderthesea.org. Let us know. And your your product or your project 
might get featured here. Unless it's Cialis or... Or a Nigerian banker who has money stashed away. In that case, uh, you can call me personally at <laughs> no. notgettinggoodmyselfphone.com. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even a phone number. All right, so I said that we'd have some listener feedback, and I've got some uh, bad news. I don't think we had any. Yeah, so and that's not our fault. Yeah, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> no, L- listener, where, where, where are you? <laughs> You're letting us down. We're, we're like, um, it's like going to your friend's band show and nobody shows up. I don't know. Anyways, so uh, this is our local show, guys. We don't care if you think that we suck. Yeah, like, that's right. we, we're counting on you for <laughs> for self affirmation. We don't care if you don't want to pay the cover at the door. <laughs> we don't care if they don't have good beers on tap. You have to show up. Okay. Uh, seriously, we appreciate any feedback about anything. So if you want to leave us feedback, do it in all of the different ways we've said before, which includes Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, or maybe most easily on the post on which you are listening to this podcast right now on our blog at enchantmentundersea.org. But you know, we don't have listener feedback. We do have a correction. Uh, last week, uh, when I mistook Rob Ford for Tom I'm, Ford. And I'm sh- you can't hear it, but I'm shaking my head with disapproval right now. Swish, swish, swish. Uh, so uh, I said that Tom Ford directed the King's Speech. I'm sorry, the King's Speech. Tom Ford directed a slightly better film called A Single Man, which had the same guy, Colin Firth, as a different guy. Right. Not the guy from the King's Speech. So for shame. Yeah, I apologize for that. Uh, the other thing that we have, which is, uh, it doesn't really fit any other categories, but right now at this moment in Columbus, Ohio, there is a convention going on for My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Yeah, and how, how do we know that? How do we find out about so, that, Stephen? So as we were coming back from brunch, where we hashed out our ideas for this podcast, uh, we were driving down the road and we saw... A, a guy walking who had a hoodie that had been stylized into essentially a cosplay for one of the main Fluttershy, characters. Right? I think it was Fluttershy with like the the rainbow mane, whatever, and like a yeah, hood that went up. You know, if there's gonna be a, a friendship is magic convention, there's gonna be people dressed in in My Little Pony hoodies. Yeah, and when we were walking back from the car, we saw another person. So confirmed, it's not just one guy who likes to dress up in My Little Pony gear. There is a convention in town. Right, because if there's two of them, it's it's officially a convention. (laughs) It's a it's an infestation. All right, and and there's one last thing that's kind of a a different uh, kind of I guess uh, doesn't fit into the box necessarily, but uh, it's an update on a story that we've talked about previously. Um, As you guys probably know Amanda Bynes has gone from being kind of a mediocre child star to somebody that we forgot about to kind of being a person that's uh, interesting in a slight or crazy I mean in a slightly interesting way <laughs> on the internet uh, yeah. slightly you know I mean I really mean that slightly interesting right so. the, the new uh, slightly interesting detail is that uh, a friend of Amanda someone who claims to be a p- close personal friend of Amanda Bynes released some sort of iPhone text message screen caps that show that Amanda Bynes has said oh I know exactly what I'm doing this is all part of this plan you know I, I, I'm not crazy I'm just doing this for you look how famous I am look how many Twitter followers I got out of it which I think that's interesting yeah, it you is don't interesting. oh I do think it's I think it's more interesting right you think it's more interesting than I do but I it, think so it is interesting uh, whether, whether Amanda Bynes is a person who went crazy on the internet in this sort of new era of transparency on the internet or is a person who tried to game the new era of internet yeah, transparency. Yeah, I mean, it's, it would just, 
I can't think of another instance of that happening, right? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, she's uh, following in the footsteps of Lindsay Lohan, who was following in the footsteps of Britney Spears, Who's or following whatever. in the footsteps of Andy Kaufman. Yeah, I don't. Well, no, let's not give him too much credit. But anyways, right. it's, I guess, right? Like, I guess they sort of all are. Maybe. Yeah, they they must. I mean, if if it is like the whole idea that you would, fake I guess Lindsay Lohan would be following in Andy Kaufman's footsteps, I suppose, just how, for the purpose of the metaphor that you're making. How, I mean, how much was she faking her breakdowns? Right? I don't know. I guess that's the, that's the real question that we have. To know, yeah, so. yeah, Amanda Bynes might be the first person to really subvert the "we're going crazy" uh, kind of uh, trope. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we could talk about this to, more. But we yeah, we'll to. see how it turns out. Okay. We'll be monitoring the story as we monitor all of our all stories. Right, well, so onward and forward to your links forward. of the week, Stephen. You go first. So my link of the week is uh, on the internet this week. Either it was put together this week or it was popularized this week. Uh, David Letterman has an obsession with the drum kits of his musical guests. Go on. So <laughs> as. Uh, at, at, he, at, at that moment when the musical guest is finally finished performing and the audience is still applauding, David Letterman likes to wander over and start talking to the musicians. And one of his favorite phrases to say is, uh, are those your drums? Beautiful drums. Are these yours? Well, those are nice. I love those. I love those. These are drums? They're beautiful. These are drums? They're great. Very nice. Thank you. Are those yours or rented? Beautiful drums. These your drums or rentals? Very nice. And so he also asks about like you know are those rentals or are those your own drums? How old are those drums? Uh, can I buy those drums off of you? All these little yeah, weird well, so things he has. Here's one thing I'd submit to that. You know there are a couple of things happening, but if someone were to put a camera in front of your face every single night for 25 years and you're David Letterman, you know wouldn't uh, I'm sure there'd be something that you've said over and over again if somebody looked hard enough, right? Right. On the other hand, yeah, and he's David Letterman. Right, and what's so interesting about it is, you know, it's sure he has a kit bag, but it's interesting to see that kit bag intersect with David Letterman's own, I guess, interest in drum kits, right? Like, yeah, it could be anything, but for some reason it's this one little thing. Uh, and it's, and it's David Letterman, his... by the way, doesn't just have a kit bag. He kind of is a kit bag. Yeah. He exists as a human kickback. A lot of these guys do, yeah. But he's, but you know, he's he's so affable and so fun to watch use his kit bag. And this this supercut's a great example of that. Andrew Tobias. Yeah, my my link of the week isn't super interesting, um, but you know, I it's it's sort of something I have a personal soft spot for, and it's the game, the rapper, the game, who's not that great, but you know, he's yeah, he's famous, he's a rapper. And he went to a club in Los Angeles somewhere that, you know, uh, accommodates folks like him. I think it has $4 signs on the Yelp review if that says anything about the kind of place that this is. $4 signs. Right. And the first uh, the first review was written by some Los Angeles guy who was talking about, yeah, and I walked in. The bouncers didn't suck that bad. And I went to my VIP room and some honey came up. You know, that kind of guy. So, Gross. But, um, but the game went there and spent $15,000 on liquor, which whatever, you know, that's the kind of thing you expect them to do. But then the receipt ended up on the internet somewhere. Which, <laughs> okay. So this isn't that interesting, right? It's but a little interesting. The thing I like about this, yeah. the, the reason why this speaks to me personally is that I'm a big fan of the idea of documents telling a story, right? Like just finding this, you know, receipts are like the most boring document that we, you know, the example of a document that everybody interacts with almost on a day-to-day basis, right? And so um, it's it's literally a piece of garbage that somebody found and, and put on the internet and suddenly it's, you know, going crazy, you know, look look at this, look what he bought, oh my gosh, you know, so it's this intersection of that, along with just the way that the internet lets us gawk at celebrities, you know, in a fairly unfettered way, at least, you know, it bypasses the National Enquirers of the world and whatnot. It so. It- 
it supplants it, it supplements yeah. the national inquirers yeah, so world. i mean you know ultimately <laughs> it's it's just an example of like oh hey look this rich asshole spent fifteen thousand dollars on liquor what an excess oh my god right so there's there's only so far that you can go with this but it's still something that you know when this happens i kind of take notice and you know kind of mark it down so there you go Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back next episode to talk about more stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, and again, feedback can be left in a variety of different ways. Maybe most simply either email staff at enchantmentunderthesea.org or leave it as a comment to this post. So we'll talk to you all again soon. Well, see you later. Hold On to Your Butts is a production of enchantmentunderthesea.org. Your hosts were Stephen Goldmeyer and Andrew Tobias, editing by Stephen Goldmeyer. <laughs>